Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Good morning. So this semester, I've had the unique uh, or distinct privilege, pleasure to teach fifth and sixth graders ancient history. And uh, they've been very gracious since my first year teaching fifth and sixth grade history, so that both the parents and the students have been very gracious to me uh, as I've kind of learned on the job. Um, but it's been, it's been really wonderful to, to study, uh, and it's, it's, we're, we're studying ancient uh, Israelite history. Basically, the book of Genesis is on one hand, and we're also studying uh, ancient Egypt. So we kind of flip-flop throughout the semester, back and forth between those two things. And it's been... Very, very interesting and fascinating. Now, the book of Genesis, you can kind of outline in a number of ways, but I, I like to think of, you got the first 11 chapters as kind of prehistory. You've got the, the first 11 chapters are the story of creation, and you've got the Tower of Babel in there, and the flood, and other stories like that. And then in uh, chapter 12, you get the story of, you start with Abraham. Abraham is introduced, and then you read about him and his descendants, Isaac and Jacob. That takes up about 13 chapters or so, 12 through 25. And then you get into this. Uh, uh, you get into the story of Joseph and uh, in Egypt. And you read about that, and that's fascinating in and of itself. And then you get into, at the very end of the book of Genesis, it ends with the death of, death of Israel, death of Jacob. What we're going to be looking at today is Genesis chapter 22, the offering of Isaac. Now, what was the importance of a son at that time, at, those ancient, at that ancient time? Obviously, we, we like sons today, right? We think they're pretty, pretty neat. Um, but they don't, a son today, I don't think we have any concept of the importance of a son back then. And remember, Abraham was a man who had left his family. He was from the east, and he had traveled west because God told him to do so. He said, God said to leave his family and to go to the land that, he, that God would show him. So he left his family. He, he did take along a little bit of his family. He took his wife, of course, but he also took his nephew, Lot. <coughs> but that was it. That was it for family, and he went. And back then, family was everything, more so even than now. Family was your protection. There was no government that was going to give you social security checks. There was no handout to be had by organizations helping the poor. It was your life insurance. It was your uh, money in the bank for the future, saving for the future, was your children. It was so important, in fact, having a son was so important that Abraham's wife went to him and said, please take my maid and have a son through her. Now, how many of you women would offer to do that? Would go to your husband and say, would you please 
have a son with another woman so that we will have a son. <laughs> That's pretty desperate, isn't it? That's pretty intense. <clears throat> so that happens. There's a son, Ishmael, and immediately there is strife between the two women. Sarah is upset because Hagar realizes that she's got, she's sort of one-upped her mistress, and so um, Sarah feels that, and she sends Hagar and Ishmael away. They run away, or rather, Hagar and Ishmael run away because of the, uh, the harsh treatment that Sarah, Sarah gives to her. <clears throat> and what does God say? He says to return to, he tells Hagar specifically to return to her mistress, to return to Sarah. <clears throat> And so we go on with the story. In in chapter 18, we've got uh, the visit. The visitors come and visit uh, Abraham and Sarah. And uh, then it says in verse 9 in chapter 18, Then they said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, There in the tent. And the visitor says, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah your wife will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old, pleasure, my Lord being old also. So Sarah laughed at her guests, at the thought that she might have a child, this child that was promised to her by God. You move on in the story in chapter 21, and I love <clears throat> the brevity of the Bible at times, right? This, uh, this promise to Abraham <clears throat> was, uh, was something they'd been hoping for their entire lives, and in fact, it says that Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. <clears throat> and it says simply this, In Genesis 21, then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. As easy as that, right? Isaac was finally born. The promise was finally received. So what happens next? Again, there's trouble between Sarah and Hagar, So, um, and so Sarah goes to her husband and says, please send Hagar and her son away. And this greatly troubled Abraham. It was his son after all. And so he's very distressed at the thought of it, at the thought of sending this woman and his son away. And what does God say? Chapter 21, 12 to 14. But God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. For through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. And of the son of the maid, I will make a nation also because he is your descendant. So he sent them away. This son whom he loved, he sent away. 
And this brings us to chapter 22. <clears throat> we don't know how long a uh, passage of time passed between when Abraham sent Ishmael away, Hagar and Ishmael away, to chapter 22. But here's what it said. Here's what it says. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Now, child sacrifice, we actually just studied this recently in the class. Child sacrifice was not uncommon in the ancient world. And so, and based on Abraham's response, you have to assume that Abraham wasn't entirely surprised to hear God give him this command. Of course, we look back at it now and we think, you know, that would be insane. If I heard that, that I just wouldn't even believe it. <clears throat> but Abraham was, he, you know, he came from the east. His family was most, more, most likely idolaters. It's entirely possible that Abraham even witnessed the child sacrifice. I, the Bible doesn't record it. That's just guessing, of course. But surely he would have heard about it. And perhaps he even witnessed it. And so child sacrifice is uh, common. You, you read ancient documents and it's well known that it's happened in the ancient world. And so he responded. Now, look at these words here. Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. <clears throat> now this is what God says to Abraham immediately after he is sent his only other son, away. How would you respond? God had just told you to send your son away, and now he's telling you to take your only son left, the only one you got left, and sacrifice him. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. What do you think? Did he tell Sarah? Did he say, morning, sweetie. I'm off to sacrifice our son. I don't think he did. Again, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. I can't imagine that he did, but I don't know. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. <clears throat> There's a lot of time to think in three days' time, isn't there? Especially if you're just walking, plodding along. What are you going to do? What are you going to talk about on your way for three whole days? <clears throat> on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Is that what you have, would have said? Would you have said we're going to go worship? Would you have said that we're going to go now and worship God? 
Or maybe, maybe you would have sent your servants up the hill and stayed down at the bottom of the hill. Let them do it. No, that's not what Abraham did. He said, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham leaves the young men behind and prepares to worship God. It is so easy for us to look back at this story and to think, oh yeah, we know the end. Abraham didn't know the end of this story. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together, father and son. He laid the wood on his son and he carried the instruments of his son's destruction in his own hands. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father, and he said, here I am, my son, And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Now what would you have said? What would you have said at that time? Where is the lamb for the burnt offering, Father, Daddy? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid, on, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Now what do you think was the scene here? What did it look like? Was Isaac crying? Was he screaming? Was he calling out for help? Was Abraham crying? We don't know. We don't know the answer to that question. The Bible doesn't tell us. And of course, you know the rest of the story. And it'd be very easy for me to glibly pass right on and jump to the end. But I want us to stop here and stew in this scene. Why? What's the point? Why, Why do we need to stop right here? And feel it. It's, it's important because we think we're so smart. We think we're so evolved. We think we're so progressive. We think we've moved on beyond these barbaric customs of the ancient world. We, you think, phew, I'm glad that we don't practice human sacrifice anymore. We're a kinder, gently, gentler people. But let me ask you this. What does God demand of you? What is God requiring of you? All of it. Every last bit of it. Nothing. There's nothing that God does not claim for his own. Every last piece of your heart, every last bit of your mind, Everything that you can see and touch belongs to God. Some of us want honor and praise from men, a seat at the table with the cool kids. That that praise belongs to God. Some of us want a job where we feel like we're accomplishing something, 
like we can have satisfaction in that? What would it mean for you to speak up at your workplace about Jesus Christ? We've all been given a family of one sort or another. And many of us have been given children. Every time you discipline and love your children, what's going on there? You know, we put discipline and love sort of opposed to each other, maybe two sides of the same coin. But let me tell you, it takes faith to discipline your children and it takes faith to love your children. In both, both instances, both ways, you can have your heart ripped out. And if you're an older parent, you know that that's true. Some of us want security and safety, and so we build a life around ourselves to make sure that we'll never be hurt again, never be vulnerable again. <clears throat> God is the one that owns that security. God says, do not fear the one that can hurt the body, but fear the one that can put both body and soul into hell. Wealth. We as a people are wealthy. We have wealth that is vast. Even the poorest among us are extremely wealthy, considering the history of the world. And what is Jesus, what is the gospel that Jesus gave to the rich young ruler? Right? What did he say? He said, go, give away everything you have and come and follow me. And as he left, Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And you have to remember, at the time, the Pharisees were the religious leaders. And they had built a system in which Basically, you had to be rich, you had to be wealthy to be able to be pleasing to God, to be righteous, to be able to follow all the commands and extra things that the Pharisees had added. You needed basically to be a wealthy man who didn't work with his hands but worked with his brain. <clears throat> and so you can understand the response of the disciples and the people listening. Uh, th- those, they who heard it said, then who can be saved? If not even the wealthy can be saved, who can be saved? And Jesus said, the things that are impossible with God, with people, are possible with God. Peter said, behold, we have left our own homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. Did you hear that promise? It's an amazing promise. Not, who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come, eternal life. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Just like he said before. Just like before. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now if we had written that, if we had been the one writing that passage of scripture, 
I think we would have said, now we know that you love God. But that's not what it says. Abraham feared God. He knew that he could not withhold anything from God and, and that God had claim on everything. And he believed, as, as Hebrews says later in Scripture, that God could even raise a son from the ashes of an altar. Of course, it doesn't say that he didn't love God, right? Can you imagine that, what do you think? Did Abraham love God? I think he did. How could you imagine that Abraham would have the faith to do that if he did not also love God and trust him? Now again, we think we're so progressive, we think we've left behind these ancient barbaric customs. What do we have to do with human sacrifice? Well, let me tell you, if you didn't know already, that your religion is founded on human sacrifice. In Matthew 26, it says, And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Human sacrifice is at the center of Christianity. We haven't moved past Abraham. We're not beyond Abraham somehow. Since the beginning of time, God has decreed that the penalty for sin is death. The penalty for your sin is your death. Ancient people knew that they were not right before God, and so they sacrificed. They would sacrifice whatever was most precious to them in order to please their gods. They knew that the gods were justly displeased. And so they sacrificed even their own little children. And make no mistake about it, we continue to sacrifice to our gods today. The blood of, you've heard Tim, Pastor Bailey say this many times, the blood of the 20th century is unsurpassed in human history. Not least of which is the, the blood that's poured out because of abortion in this country and around the world. We sacrifice to our gods even today, even to this day. <clears throat> Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Now what's the name of the Lord he will provide? Say it loudly. Jehovah Jireh, very good. My former instructor. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. From the very beginning, the people of Israel were taught what? Not that they were going to provide the sacrifices, not that they were bringing something that was pleasing to God. What were they reminded every time that they brought a sacrifice to God? They were being reminded that the Lord would provide. The Lord would provide. They needed provision from the Lord. 
because they were guilty. The Lord will provide. And sometimes I wonder, why, why, why is the Bible the way it is? Why is it that God didn't just reveal everything at the beginning? Why couldn't he have just told us there's so much that happens in the Bible and especially in the New Testament, God reveals so much in the New Testament. I think, why didn't he re- reveal that earlier? And there's a lot of ways you could answer that question. <clears throat> of course, I don't know the ultimate answer to that question. That's for God to know. But I, as I was thinking about this, I realized that there is something that God did reveal at the beginning. And it's staring you right in the face. It's the faith of Abraham. The faith of Abraham is what unites us to him. What is the difference between the faith that God calls you to and the faith that God called Abraham to do? Of course, we know that this was a test for Abraham, and so we can, we can jump over it and think, oh yeah, you know, it works out in the end. But you don't know that. You don't know what the end of your story is. You don't know how it's going to turn out. <clears throat> you have to have faith. You must have faith. And every time, like I said, every time you discipline your children, every time you speak up at work or in class, every time you have an opportunity to lose it all, that's when you can be assured that you're walking by faith. Faith is what ties Abraham to you and me. And it's so difficult for us in our day and age to even understand this because there's so many things we don't even believe in. For a, a, a hundred years, you know, we've had the doctrine of evolution, right? Jam down our throats. We don't believe in a heaven or a hell. We have... Uh, sophisticated machines that can put on your brain and it'll light up in pretty colors when something happens inside your brain and so we think we've completely understood the brain and the inside of a person. You know, we don't believe in a soul. (laughs) You're laughing at me. (laughs) We don't believe in a soul. We think that the only thing that is true or real is something that you can put in a test tube or, or, or steady in a laboratory. We don't believe in the Holy Spirit. We don't believe in miracles. We think that faith is just some mumbo jumbo that helps people deal with the tragic reality of life and gives them a little comfort to help them last a little bit longer. This is not the faith of Abraham. Another thing that's, I think, particularly tempting for us as Christians in this weird day we find ourselves in, you know, that Donald Trump is the Republican president. (laughs) You know, that's, that's a pretty weird day we live in, right? And apparently conservative Christians are supposed to be, ah, on his team. I don't know. It's just weird. We live in a weird day. Uh, Pastor Baker, again, he said our society, uh, there's this kind of breakdown. And, um, and so we're tempted to hear, whenever, whenever anybody gives, says something even just remotely true, you know, like, 
you know, it's important that you take responsibility for your actions. It's like, oh yes, you know, you feel like you've been given the gospel, right? And, and so, you know, we, we have, but, but the problem with that is we have this godless gospel that's just constant. You know, whether you're talking about, you know, as far as, whether you're talking about republicanism or libertarianism, um, you know, I, I, uh, another thing I hear regularly is you, you look at something like the Ten Commandments and you say, well, a society needs the Ten Commandments for society to work. You know, a society needs God in order to work. And this emphasis on, it, on, on what makes a society work, right? This is not the faith of Abraham, God isn't interested in what works in a society. And so we have, we have no idea what it means to have faith because we live in a day when we don't believe we have a soul, we don't believe that there's an afterlife. But let me tell you, faith is not some sort of thing you add on, like a a trait or like a coat you put on. It's absolutely central to your human experience, right? It's it's there are things that you you cannot understand. I think Augustine said it. You can't understand without faith. Can you help me with that, David? Uh, Things does anybody know what I'm talking about? Maybe Josh? Believe in order to understand. That's right. I believe in order to understand. <clears throat> there are things that we do not understand. We cannot see without faith. God isn't interested in what works. He isn't interested in giving you a little pep talk to help you survive this tragic experience. He wants all of you. Every last bit of you. He wants, he wants your heart on a platter. He calls you to have faith. May it be so.